They say patience is a virtue. But I can wait as long as you do for a change. Call me insane, but that's my aim. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the ninth episode of Untelevised, the podcast. Um, how are you, Fazeo, this week? Yeah, um, I feel not much has changed from last episode where I'm just willing some longer days and a little bit more sun. <laughs> um, it's funny, like every year I manage to forget how short days are in winter. <laughs> every single year I just forget that I live in the UK. But um, yeah, aside from that, not too bad. But yeah, the darkness, slightly struggling with it. How about you? Yeah, I'm okay, actually. Um, oh, we, uh, we had a really big win this week. Um, one of the young boys one of the young refugees that we support um at may project gardens was facing a court case and it was quite nerve-wracking and i was in court with him on wednesday and managed to get him off without sentencing so that was a really big high um feeling like amazing um my brother was joking that he had it flashes of me in some sort of matthew mcconaughey type movie or something like storming into a courtroom <laughs> with some massive... but anyway um but it was i have to say that that really was a you know we spoke I guess in previous episodes um, about kind of micro and macro wins, and I and I guess that definitely felt like one of those very tangible, you know, immediate wins that you can go away from and go, okay, I've I've done something worthwhile with my day. <laughs> um, so mm. yes, restored your faith a little yes, bit. Yes, exactly. So I'm sort of riding a little bit high from that, but I'm sure this topic will crash me right down <laughs> like pretty, pretty quickly. <laughs> um, in true capitalist boom and bust fashion, we're going to go from a high. Um, to a, to a low, um, but yeah. So I feel like this is quite a it's quite a meaty one. A long time yes, coming. Yes, a long time coming. Um, we felt that every episode we've pretty much done up until this point, whatever the subject matter's been, our guests have always kind of come back to saying the current system we're in is quite a challenge for us or a lot of the problems we face or the difficulties to achieving complete change is our system and that you know and is capitalism to to an extent and so we thought well we kind of have to define it we're going to have to dig into it at some point what is capitalism yeah the time has come to um, actually clarify <laughs> what we keep talking about <laughs> Okay, so I won't go too far into what capitalism is because our guest's going to do a great job of that in a minute. But just as a sort of basis so that we can define some of the other terms that she brings up, capitalism is, in essence, an economic system in which countries, trade, industry and profits are all controlled by private companies um, instead of by the people whose time and labour power those companies. And under capitalism, we see competition as a defining character of human relations. Um, so as we've looked at in previous episodes, citizens are very much seen as consumers and um, a lot of democratic choices are seen as being exercised by what we buy and sell. And capitalism maintains that the market delivers benefit that could never be achieved by sort of planning and restrictions, etc. So capitalism is pretty much present across the whole world um, at different scales. 
And it can come in different forms from quite controlled, uh, where the state still maintains quite a lot of power, to not controlled at all, where it's very free, the market's very free. And in the UK, we've been seen to rapidly be lessening our state controls over the last few decades, especially since Thatcherism in the 80s. And we're now seen to subscribe to something called neoliberalism. And that basically means that we're letting go of more and more of the controls um, that the state might have had previously. So things like privatising a lot of um, the public services, uh, eliminating price controls, deregulating capital markets, lowering trade barriers and in general, reducing the state's influence in the economy. Yeah, so essentially kind of, you know, letting letting the market the, the market, it sounds like this big like bogeyman yeah. or whatever, but, you know, letting letting the market kind of control things, you know, if we have a deep, deep recession, then so be it. And, you know, if there is a massive, massive boom and people make millions, then so be it. And, you know, we won't really restrict the upper end and we won't massively cushion um, the lower end. Um, and I think one of therefore the other things that's worth defining is the welfare state. Um, The welfare state is, again, a sort of a social construct um, that sort of has, you know, came into existence, I think, maybe after the Second World War, and certainly across Europe, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, we started seeing a kind of real move towards having some protection in place for citizens, recognising that maybe pure capitalism and pure unrestricted markets could therefore cause people to, you know, one minute lose their job and then be out on the streets the next minute and and so on. And so the welfare state is essentially sits within a capitalist system. Countries that have welfare states are still capitalist countries. But that's an example of where the state does exercise some control. So it kind of says, okay, within the capitalist system, we take taxes out of your wages. And with those taxes, we will cover certain things for everybody that we believe is just at least the basic standard of living that we should have. And that's, for example, um, state schools, in most cases, it's um, health care, although not, again, all, all capitalist countries with welfare systems even have um, health care, as we've seen in the US, but it might, you know, might be health care. It will be things like unemployment benefits, some subsidized housing and, and so on. So that in theory, even if the market completely crashes, we don't literally end up in kind of destitute <laughs> carnage. Um, but again, welfare states in Europe, at least, probably in the sort of 70s, were much bigger. um, And they've been cut and reduced over the last few decades. And that's what people talk about when they talk about austerity, like that is a reduction of that state support. Um, So that is, again, a variable that countries will approach differently, essentially. Would you argue that um, the welfare state has sort of been eroded so much that now Um, bringing back small elements of the welfare state is seen almost as this big act that's like outside of capitalism, even if traditionally it might have been where we started before. Not that radical. I I mean, absolutely. I think we saw it in the in the last election campaign, right? You know, even people almost suggesting that what Corbyn was proposing was literally like communism, it was socialism. It wasn't any of those things. Like, 
even the Labour Party under Corbyn was still going to run a capitalist society. Like they were still in their manifesto talking about some people earning as little as 10.75 an hour, you know, like at, at most a, li a London living wage and still talking about there being millionaires, but just that you would take slightly more taxes from them. So everything would still run with money. It would still run with trade. Um, it would still be run by the market, but they were probably just proposing a larger welfare state um, system than we have right now. And, and even that seemed to some people, yeah, com completely crazy. Right. And we've seen the same in the US. I mean, they think that even just having public health care is socialism. <laughs> and, and I think we definitely are going to have to do some future episodes on what it, on what socialism is and so on. But yeah, definitely. I think we've uh, the bars become very low. <laughs> Let's jump into our discuss now. I feel like our guests can give a lot more clarity on this still. Absolutely. I think you've heard enough from us. <laughs> so this week um, I spoke with an organisation called Economy. I spoke to someone called Claire Burkett from Economy. Economy are a, are a charity and they were set up by a group of economic students who felt that economics was quite unattainable for people and difficult to understand, and yet it rules all of our lives. But we see it as this academic discipline, not for the average person. And so the whole purpose of their organisation is literally to give economics education and make that education um, very informal, like maybe even through youth centres, through community centres, through podcasts, you know, through outreach work to people that may otherwise not engage with the subject. And so they give a kind of factual, objective education, but essentially they want the average person to understand economics better and therefore be able to make better choices with their own lives and advocate for themselves better. So given that our current economic system is a capitalist one, we felt like they would be very well placed to define for us what capitalism actually is. The main purpose of economic activity under capitalism is to make a profit, and that's a key defining feature. So people who own capital, which is any resource like a factory or a machine or a field that can be used to produce things, um, they employ workers to produce goods and services. And their profit is income before their sales minus the costs of production. And under capitalism, Profit makes the world go round because it's necessary to repay loans taken out to finance economic activity and pay dividends to people who invest their own money to fund economic activity and as a source of tax for governments to provide services and infrastructure, which is essential to further economic activity. So there's the three things there that are interacting. There's, there's private property, there's markets and there's firms. How did capitalism start where did it originate I mean it has it always been the system by which you know humans have been governed so to speak one thing is that often people who might be pro-capitalism or skeptical of people who say who are anti-capitalist for example who are against capitalism um, often assume that capitalism has been around for a really long time or been around forever even um, because it does feel like that it, during our lifetimes, it's all we've lived under. Um, but actually, capitalism only came about around, it started to come around around the 16th century, but it was a gradual process 
that um, until you could really say we were in capitalism by around the 19th century. Um, so what started to happen around the 16th century is um, some people that we tend to call merchants had gotten very rich through foreign trading and they began to take control of land and other resources that can be used to make profit. And this was quite a violent process because it meant forcefully removing people from land um, in order to use the land to make profit. And that left people who'd previously been on the land, it left them with no choice but to work for the capitalists um, as a wage labourer, so someone who works for a wage. And part of capitalists accumulating more wealth and resources, um, it wasn't just kicking people off fields, etc., to take to take them to, to make profit. It also meant going overseas and appropriating land from other places, so colonialism. Uh, and before that, um, the transatlantic slave trade, that was a key feature in early industrialization in the UK, which was a key part of capitalism and the growth of capitalism. Yeah, and, and capitalism has now been around for a few centuries. And so we have seen, it's morphed quite a lot and we've seen a few different versions of it. So for example, after the Second World War, um, capitalism was transformed quite a lot in Europe and the US. Um, the government had much greater control over markets and business. Um, and in the UK, we saw the creation of the welfare state. So a lot of what we know now as benefits uh, didn't exist before then. And uh, the NHS didn't either, either that was created after the Second World War. Um, and then again, in the 70s, we saw the growth of a different kind of capitalism, which we might call neoliberal capitalism. Around that time, um, nations like the UK saw disappointing profits and disappointing economic growth. And their response was this new form of capitalism, um, which was formed on the basis of policies by the prime minister at the time, Margaret Thatcher, and Ronald Reagan in the US, who was president. And they, they put in place some policies based on the idea that less regulation by the government and letting the market work on its own would create higher profits, encourage enterprise, investment, economic growth, and that that would be good for everyone. And at the same time, um, in order to make that happen, they thought it was necessary to, for example, weaken the power of unions. They saw unions as um, who had workers' rights in mind and might push for things like a higher minimum wage. They saw that as getting in the way of making profit. And so some policies in the UK, for example, were put in place that made it harder for unions to unionise. And there, we also saw social security provisions shrink. And an interesting thing about neoliberalism is countries that seem to be quite neoliberal in recent decades tend to have quite a high um, military budget, for example. Um, and they might, they're quite involved in um, markets in the sense that they might put things in place that help to create profit. I think that's a really interesting point, the one about government involvement, because as you say, I think people always assume that governments would get involved to kind of restrict capitalism um, and restrict free market when actually they also get involved to aid and assist, it seems. And, and as you know, anyway, we can that, that might be a, you know, a different discussion altogether. But, you know, actually, if markets were completely free, um, I guess you wouldn't have things like bank bailouts and, and so on. So I think it's very interesting to look at that, you know, people who seem to believe that capitalism should be completely free to kind of, you know, roam wild <laughs> and where they might actually call for government intervention after all. But um, I'm going to park that one for now. But um, in 
very real terms then, you know, we looked at the history um, of capitalism and obviously our society is very different now, as you've just said, we've gone through quite a lot of different iterations of capitalism. Um, here and now, um, how would you say that it kind of impacts people's lives? You know, how does my life, your life, anybody's life kind of day to day come into contact with capitalism and, and you know, in our routines and our systems and our habits and whatever, where do we feel it and see it? Often people think of the term economy and economics and get really turned off and think that sounds really boring and, and it can be. And, thing is, and often people think it's got nothing to do with them um, and it's things that other people talk about. And actually economies, we're all part of economies. And, you know, when I go to the supermarket, there's seven types of peanut butter on the shelves. You know, that is part of the economy that is due to innovation, different businesses, competing and managing to get their product out there and um, that's something that people who argue for capitalism say the competition it allows creates you know allows for higher quality goods and services you know the smartphone you've got the covid vaccines that are coming out right now the food in your belly um, you know we we all interact with capitalism on a daily basis capitalism has created huge amounts of material wealth um, and it's the first system in human history to do that. So some people will um, feel the effects of capitalism in that way. Um, and other people, they, so that a key part of capitalism is this idea that we can have private profit property and that concept of actually being able to have your own stuff protects you from others and the state. So you can have your own business and profit from it. Um, so, you know, some people say it allows that kind of freedom to start um, to start your own business and do what you want. Is there any, you know, because obviously capitalism is it's quite regular. I mean, it's very disputed, right? It's a very disputed subject. Um, and, you know, every interview we've done in this series, um, every subject we've gone into, and this is why we ended up here, every guest has kind of in a roundabout way gone, well, maybe one of the biggest challenges to us in the work that we do, whether it be food, whether it be ethical consumption, you know, whatever it might be, is the current system. Like capitalism is one of the things that makes things difficult for us and that we're constantly coming up against. Um, and that's actually why we thought we would try and define it. So for something so contested, what might be some of the arguments for it? Like, why are we still like why do we still live in it do you think although um capitalism has created huge gains in wealth i think there are a lot of problems with it and there's three main problems with capitalism there's a problem of distribution and equality there's a problem of crises and a problem of environmental degradation so despite the amount of wealth, uh, material wealth that capitalism has created, um, we've seen huge problems distributing that wealth between countries and within countries. So um, the UN's Food and Agricultural Organization um, has said that one in nine people go to bed hungry each night. And that's in 2000, you know, that's in the 2020s. That is um, quite insane, really. You know, we've had this system for three or 400 years and still a lot, large swathes of the world's population who are going to bed hungry. And at the same time, we throw out globally around 30% of our food. Um, so we're creating enough food. We're creating too much food and it's just not getting to who it needs to get to. Um, so many countries, many people in many countries have not, um, are still living in poverty. Um, and 
there's huge inequality across the world, but also within countries. So many people in the in the UK are still poor, um, even though the UK is one of the richest nations in the world. Um, the young generation now are likely to be the first generation that will be worse off than their parents in decades. Um, so there's this big problem of inequality and uh, distribution that is inherent to capitalism. Secondly, um, we have seen economic crisis after economic crisis um, since the start of capitalism. Um, it goes through booms and busts periodically because of its dynamism. So there was a long depression in the 1870s, the Great Depression of 1929, an oil shock in the 1970s the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s, the financial crash that most of us listening, listening to this have probably lived through in 2008. And now we're faced with this crisis now during COVID. Um, so, and then the third problem is one that is really staring us in the face at the moment. Um, it, we're living in a climate emergency and climate change is just one of the many um, ways that capitalism has been destroying the environment over a few hundred years so we've seen a huge drop in biodiversity um, and one tenet of capitalism is capitalism requires unending economic growth but unending economic growth uh, well I've actually got a quote from David Attenborough that I wanted to share so he said we have a finite environment, the planet. Anyone who thinks you can have infinite growth in a finite environment is either a madman or an economist. And another quote from Naomi Klein, who's a great thinker, she said, climate change is a message, one that is telling us that many of our culture's most cherished ideas are no longer viable. I mean, in that case, Claire, and this might be a, this is probably a complex question and, and you know, you don't have to sort of necessarily go into it in its entirety, but if there are so many problems with it, um, you know, if, if so many people are still suffering as a result of it, um, why do you think it's still upheld? I mean, as you just said, it's we've had hundreds of years to kind of try and in, improve it. I mean, even my Zoom account here updates every like three, four days or something and I have to re-download it. But like, why, how have we still, how are we still in it if it's so problematic? Maybe we can re-download capitalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. First of all, there is a lack of alternative to capitalism in our living memory, at least in the UK. Um, and I think that really matters. I think one thing we found at Economy is if people don't see an example of an alternative, it's very hard to imagine it. Um, so, for example, if I say to someone, how about we have a system where a worker in a company every board in a company has to have a worker on it. People might think I'm crazy, but if I say that actually happens in Germany, then people go, ah, okay, it's possible. So I think there's not seeing an alternative to capitalism in our, in our living memory is, is one of the reasons. Um, and I think that's related to our media, which I think there's, you know, the, our media in the UK, um, we've seen um, less and less regional media um there's been a bit of a crisis in in media and we don't see alternative voices and alternatives in the media so much um and also there's a lack of education about alternatives and and for example the history of capitalism that's quite a bloody history we don't learn that at school 
the anti-capitalist debate has been closed down. Um, the, the government has recently outlawed any anti-capitalist teaching in schools. But uh, I would say it's really important to learn different perspectives uh, when you're young as well as when you're an adult. Um, other reasons why we're still in this system that you know we see has many flaws um i do think it takes a lot of imagination as well um it, it does require really thinking in a in a very different way and and having a lot of hope and positivity yeah i would i would agree with you on that one and i think as as you've just said i mean that that to me i mean it doesn't surprise me in some ways but like to literally say we're not going to educate right you know children from the get-go to even allow their minds to maybe expand or to maybe have that imagination or to even just look beyond what we're living in and then we're surprised that it doesn't feel like people are able to come up with alternatives um and the kind of irony around one of the main words that are always thrown around within capitalism literally is like innovation, right? And you're supposed to constantly come up with ways that a product could be better or a new model could come out. But the system itself, you're not supposed to in any way challenge, critique, you know, innovate around at all. So, yeah, um, that that's always kind of really sort of stuck I, with me. Also, I, I think there's it's not co no coincidence that many artists are... Um, often involved in social change because I think at the heart of artistry is imagination. It's seeing things in different ways. And I think that, um, you know, we, we have seen the arts have been cut from, from curricula in, in recent years. And I think that it might sound indirect, but I think that there is a direct link between, you know, the more we can foster um, education in, in the arts as well the more we're encouraging people to think in imaginative different ways so I don't think it's just about learning you know the history of colonialism the history of of capitalism alternatives it's teaching ways of thinking as well so Claire you kind of you spoke earlier about um, you know how different iterations of capitalism you know have happened throughout history and um you know, for example, in, in, in the 70s or whatever, we actually came up with the concept of, of our welfare state, for example, as a way of maybe trying to cushion the effects of capitalism or, you know, at least bring some element of like social justice or control into it. Um, but then you also kind of said that that in itself has then caused <laughs> a friction because by having a welfare state there or by having certain conditions like workers' rights and unions and so on, that almost like by default stunts the ability to make endless profit you know or for markets to run completely freely so what does social change or I guess maybe some element of social justice look like within capitalism is is it is it possible um at all to to still bring about some element of ethics or justice or a better society within within capitalism is it possible um Yes, I definitely think it is because A, we have precedent and um, it, it does take imagination. It also takes courage. Um, you've said, is it possible? I think it's physically possible, but it's important to note that anyone who is trying to make the world a better place or change how the system is at the moment, um, it's, it is a, a personal struggle and um, 
it's a difficult task and there will be setbacks. So I think it's only possible when you have a sort of enabling environment around you. So anyone who's wanting to get involved in that kind of thing, um, I think it's really important to try to surround yourself with others trying to make change. Um, and also to, to try and be patient because it's not, you know, there are quick wins, but some things take a lot longer. Um, and there are also di very, many different ways to push for change. And I think in the social justice movement, sometimes people, there can be a tendency to be critical of, of people trying to make change in a different way to you. Um, there might be some people trying to push the government for change. There might be others creating a social business. Um, there are so many different ways and I think they can all complement each other. Um, so some, some examples of um, change. At the moment, for example, in the UK, there is uh, quite a movement coming together, pushing for universal basic income. Um, there's a simple thing people can do, which is to join a union, for example. Um, that's a really good way of getting involved with other people who are pushing for social change. Um, I think reading different sources and alternative media is um, really important and educating oneself and being curious and reading when reading and when hearing things, thinking who has said this, what's their agenda, what's their interest, um, has any money funded this opinion um, and checking facts. Um, there are lots of alternative small economic models that exist across the world. In, in London, there's some people who've got something called the Library of Things, which is where they share tools and other um, items amongst the community so everyone doesn't have to buy their own version. So little, little mini economies. Another example would be alternative currencies. So some places like the Bristol Pound, um, that's a, a currency that can only be spent in Bristol. So the money is kept within Bristol um, when people spend that money. There are so many examples like that. There's cooperatively owned football clubs where um, the fans own the football clubs. So have a, they have a say in how it's run. Um, and one problem I see is in this neoliberal system that we're in at the moment, I feel like a lot of us have kind of been conditioned um, to think that the way that we create change is by um, putting our money, using our money as a vote. So ethical consumption would be an example of that. And I think that that can be um, a good way to make change, but alone, um, I don't think it is a solution so for example lots of people are excluded from markets so two billion people across the world don't actually have bank accounts which is a huge amount uh, so for a lot of people ethical consumption isn't even really an option um, so I think there are other other ways that can be more impactful and be more accessible to to people um, and again, for anyone like listening, we um, we have an episode on ethical consumption. And actually also within that, we define what a co-op is and the meaning of these other types of models of running businesses, I guess. And it's interesting because when we interviewed Ethical Consumer magazine um, in that episode, they actually sort of said, you know, we don't actually think that for-profit companies have a place in the future. Like if we really are moving towards social change, although we might at the moment still rate ethical profit-making companies that's not actually what we think the you know the future holds or should hold um 
so that that's quite a good that's an interesting list there um claire and um Again, I know that Economy, um, you yourselves produce a lot of educational materials and so people can also check out Economy if they want to understand some of the things that Claire has spoken about a bit more. So if we, that's the stuff that maybe people might do while we're in a capitalist system, um, the ways that you might be able to make certain changes or at least create an element of, an element of, of justice or you know cushioning the kind of effects of a capitalist system. But if we were to, get imaginative <laughs> and go bigger than that um, and take the view that actually the system has to change for there to be um, genuine, like substantial change. What might that look like? Like, is that possible? What are some of the alternatives there? There's a quote that has been attributed to both Frederick Jameson and Slavoj Žižek, which is, it is easier to imagine an end to the world than an end to capitalism. Um, personally, I think that is very pessimistic. Um, it's that old adage, um, if you think you can't, then you're right. If you think you can, you can, then you're right. The only constant thing, the only certain thing is change. We won't be in the system forever. I think it's, I think it's, um, we, we are bound to see some kind of shift and it looks inevitable um, given the, the fact that we are seeing recurrent crises we are seeing um, some people's living conditions not get better. We are seeing environmental degradation become a real, uh, a huge issue. So I think it's worth um, noting that being anti-capitalist isn't necessarily the same thing as being communist, Leninist, Stalinist, anarchist or another exotic label. And it doesn't mean defending some uh, very problematic regimes like Stalin's Russia, pot poles, Cambodia, current day China. And being anti-capitalist doesn't mean refusing progress either. A lot of people think if you're anti-capitalist, you want everyone to um, live in poverty um, and refuse anything that is produced from the society that we live in now. Um, but it just means believing that um, the values that capitalism rests on, so profit, private ownership, um, growth, shouldn't be um, the determining factors of how we live in our society. Um, and it means living to other values, like being respectful of nature um, and a having a sharing economy. The main alternatives when we talk about um, an alternative to capitalism might be socialism or communism, which probably most people have heard of. Um, and both are basically where those things that are produced from an economy that benefit society are owned by everybody rather than a select few. And the difference between the two would be that communism, we usually mean by communism that it might be more of an authoritarian state so it's not compatible with democracy whereas socialism would be. Claire we asked this of, of everyone who we interview um, based on the assumption that everyone we interview seems to in some sense or form be working for some kind of I don't know social change. Um, when do you think that your work will no longer be needed? So I think it will be when everyone receives an education about how our economies work and receives the tools to shape our economies. So that's from young people to adults having lifelong learning. 
Um, and also when economic institutions actively seek to include diverse voices in their decision making. Um, and also it would, it would be in a world where diverse views and experiences are reflected in the media. Um, and being even more uh, sort of shooting for the stars, ambitious in, in what the world would look like in a world where our work is no longer needed, I'd say when economies can benefit everyone and the planet. So, Fazeo, what what um what did you think of that? Like, I mean, we're trying to define capitalism in, in, in only half an hour or whatever people have been doing yeah. it for centuries. Yeah, it's funny because although we only had one guest this week, I feel like it was a lot to process and a lot to take on. Um, but for me personally, I think it really actually resonated with me and it made me actually reflect on my episode, the Meet for Sale episode, because I think um, what she was saying about imagination is essentially what I was trying to say in that episode. I couldn't pinpoint one thing that I want to change, but I spoke a lot about wanting people's imagination to broaden and for them to explore different possibilities. And um, she spoke a lot about the power of imagination, I think, in finding an alternative for capitalism. Um, so yeah, that really, really resonated with me um, because essentially, if we think about it, capitalism in its essence is also just based in imaginary realms. So things like money, etc., it's all it's all imaginary essentially, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, things that exist on computers and stuff. Um, it's not physical in the same sense that like blood and bones and stuff like that is physical. Um, so yeah, that that concept really resonated with me, and especially um, the idea that it can be found in the creative arts. Because obviously that's where my passion lies. (laughs) Yeah, no, I thought of you when she said that. And I think um, maybe if anything, you know, this might be a year where that imagination might have been able to have been opened for some people, you know, because all the standard habits that people just thought were completely unnegotiable were suddenly turned on their heads and everybody suddenly started realizing that did, did I need to be in this building for seven hours a week to do my job or eight, nine hours a week or whatever to do my job and yeah. how needed is my job and what yeah. is my job? And, you know, yeah. and actually this might be the first Christmas that people may not go into sort of hyper consumer overdrive. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see, but I think if if, if nothing else, you know, this year might have allowed that opening of imagination for people you'd you'd hope um yeah I mean I really hope so because these are the questions I kind of ask myself every day (laughs) I kind of live in that existential crisis mode (laughs) but (laughs) I think if a few more people were questioning that as a result of COVID that would be a positive outcome really Mm -hmm. and I guess um you know Claire's interview kind of you know just enforced what we've always talked about which is there is the things you might do within capitalism and the ways that you might make capitalism slightly better and you might create better welfare states so you might become a more ethical consumer or you you know all these things or there is the literal I want to move beyond capitalism and I want something else and I guess people can kind of listen to this and figure out where they sit and you know if it's more that they just want to if they want to find some little like nooks and corners that they can adjust within capitalism, then, you know, we have an episode on ethical consumption or we have an episode on changing systems. And, you know, there are things, but we probably are going to soon explore what these alternatives mean as well. You know, like the misconceptions people have about words like socialism, communism, etc. And actually, I think it's we probably need to dig into those two um, 
if, if we yeah, <laughs> definitely, um, definitely. And funnily enough, um, it gave me more hope when she put it quite blankly and said, although it seems like it's been like this forever, it's only been a few hundred years. Um, because I think in our in our reflections, I'm always sort of like, no, it's not possible to be within the system. We have to do something totally different. But when you think it's only been a few hundred years, it does encourage the idea that actually slowly gnawing at the foundations will eventually create holes and those holes will weaken the mm-hmm. structure of capitalism and then hopefully the house will fall. Um, slightly cryptic there, but hopefully you follow my line of thinking. Um, I guess the only um, sort of conflict there comes in trying to do that whilst also not contributing too much to the system's growth um, through your actions and through being a citizen. You know, um, every day we sort of contribute to the growth of capitalism um, in all the little things that we do. So fighting for those small changes whilst trying not to contribute too much to the system and also you have to be quite mentally strong to try not to be won over capitalism is very appealing um the sort of false idea of meritocracy and the harder you work the more you're going to gain is constantly thrown in our faces you know as well as the commercialization and, and the idea that we constantly have to be buying physical things in order to be successful or to have access to the full joys of life. So I guess trying to maintain not contributing too much and not taking too much from the system whilst fighting for those changes is sort of the biggest, the biggest, um, the biggest struggle. I don't know if that would be the right way to put it. There is a lot happening all the time. And I guess, again, you can think about whether you just want to change something in your own remit and in your own environment, or you want to try and change it on a bigger scale or a bit of both, you know, because there's both your own emotional and personal happiness and sanity you've got to think about. And then maybe the, the what you want for the world, what you want for the world may not always nurture your own emotional <laughs> and spiritual well-being. It's quite a slog. Um, and as, as I said in our Uprisings episode, like, it is a slog and, you know, you won't have that momentum forever, but you kind of have to go in your peaks and troughs and um, and see what you can do. Yeah, to be honest, I think there's a, a big win in just starting to think about this. Um, I think it's quite easy to go through life without even thinking of the alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like she said, um, it's almost hard when all you've known is capitalism to even imagine that there's another way of thinking. Um, And capitalism, one of the things that it's very good at is tricking the masses who really don't benefit from it into thinking that they do and into thinking that if they just work that bit harder or just that little bit more individualistic, that they too will reap its benefits um, because it tends to pick a few people to win and trick us all into thinking we can be those few people so we can all be the Jeff Bezos, the, the billionaires, if we just try that a little bit harder. So if we can even shift our mindset away from that individual gain into one of community benefit, I think we're already partway there towards achieving change, you know. Definitely. Um, And again, maybe this year might have given some people a bit of a sense of what is life really about. And when everything was stripped away from me, was it actually maybe the loneliness that I felt the most when I was in lockdown? Or was it, you know, lack of access to my stuff or, you know, whatever it might be. And um, I think as always, you know, we would really encourage people listening to just go and absorb as much like alternative you know Claire said it to you know alternative sources of media educational resources I mean it's shocking you know when she said that the history of or anything slightly critical of capitalism can't even really be taught in schools 
So just imagine what you're going to have to do to try and get your children to think differently as they grow up in this world. Um, economy themselves have a lot of resources and you find them by it, its economy without the O's. So E-C-N-M-Y. <laughs> um, if you look them up on Google, check out the stuff they have. I mean, obviously during non-COVID times, they do put on workshops and events. And now at the moment, unfortunately, everything probably has to be absorbed online. Yeah, I can't emphasize any more the importance of alternative media and looking in multiple places to find information. Um, and that could be just conversations even with family and friends. It could be news media, places like Twitter. And just looking at everything with a critical eye, really. Um, we'll put the Economy um, website in the episode notes just in case you don't know how to um, spell it without all the vowels. It's a bit confusing. <laughs> Um, but watch this space for us. Um, if you are thinking, no, don't want to just do stuff within capitalism. I want to get rid of the whole thing. Um, we're going to we're going to explore those alternatives in future episodes. And if there is any alternatives you think we haven't mentioned that you think we should explore, please do contact us, as always, um, with any thoughts. And if you think that any definitions of capitalism were kind of missing there, definitely send them to us as as well. Yes, hearing from you and broadening the conversation is our favourite part of doing this. Um, we want as many people as possible to tell us what they think, what they've taken from the episodes, what they would add if they were having conversations with our guests. So please send us any thoughts to our Instagram at untelevised underscore TV or to our email talk to the digit to untelevised at gmail.com. Um, we're also going to be launching something exciting in the near future and we'll let you know a little bit about that in a future episode. Um, please also don't forget to follow, subscribe, rate and review. We're still new around here and that really helps us grow. Um, so if you can do that anywhere you're listening, we'd really appreciate it. And yes, and we will be exploring workers' rights in our in our next episode, which is definitely a feature um, of capitalism and, and something that Claire touched upon and a feature of, you know, the kind of welfare state. So do do watch that space and come and join us for that. OK, bye, guys. We'll see you next time. Probably still within a capitalist system, but we'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah, not unless capitalism is going to fall in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I mean, we can only but hope. <laughs> I don't want to come down from my feet Our planet on, start the ground